Hello and welcome to this week's DJ Force X in Conversation episode 93. Um, I think. Yes, 93. So, uh, this week's, uh, this episode, I should say, is Dave Perry. Uh, he of former Games Master, Games World, um, also the magazines as well fame uh he was back in the sort of 80s 90s uh he was a co-presenter on those shows uh all gaming based shows um since then uh we'll go into what he's been up to in the interview but he's now just um basically what we're here to do is talk about games animal tv um which was something that was set up uh, a little while ago uh, with all these retro events going on. Um, and at the revival event that happened last month, um, they held a games challenge where you could go up against uh, developers uh, from Rare and ID Games um, uh, against their own games, basically, and uh, challenge them on that. And um, that's coming soon to YouTube. Um, so do check it out. It's Games Animal TV on there. So do get subscribing. She's got some very old school videos on there of, of Dave back in his prime. Um, not saying he's not in his prime now, but back when he was on television, um, on Games Master, on Games World, doing all those like mini skits as well, but all the game challenges and everything, which was back when I was a kid, that was fantastic. It was something I always kind of wanted to do, um, but never quite got in there. My brothers went for one of the sort of like qualifier audition type things, but did not get on. Um, not that I hold that against anyone, but I got my own little gaming um, sort of uh, callback, if you will. Uh, back in uh, 1993, not many people know this, I was on the big breakfast for those in the UK that remember that morning show, it was on every morning, hosted by Gabby Roslin and Chris Evans. I was on that for a week, um, uh, family of the week with my family, obviously. Um, I was 13 at the time. Um, and uh, yeah, guests that week included Bon Jovi, uh, Gary Glitter, uh, a boy band at the time called Bad Boys Inc., um, and a whole bunch of other people which i can't remember off the top of my head right now but saying that uh that particular week um they had a gaming uh uh, segment that they used to do and uh the person ben it was called ben the boffin um he was uh unavailable that week to do it so uh i stepped in and i reviewed a couple of games it was it was the original fifa international soccer on the mega drive and other formats um 2020 baseball and bill bill walsh college football which is an american football game um one of which i actually got for free after actually doing it so i actually got to keep the bill walsh college football which i've still got somewhere amongst my collection i haven't sold that um quite yet and i don't intend to because it's got a nice little memory on it um me and my young self if you ever find the video clip again it's on youtube facebook things like that but i do let a bit of a sexist comment drop so please excuse that i was only 13 and didn't know any better um so um but anyway i won't go into that unless you find it then we can discuss it but um but yeah, uh, that was my little like sort of claim to fame when it comes to gaming. So I was one of the first people to kind of preview uh, and sort of semi-review FIFA, uh, which is now like 25 years on. Uh, it's making me feel old when I play it now, but I still play that game now because it has a special place in my heart. Um, I do enjoy Pro Evo Soccer as well, but FIFA no matter how alike alike it is each year i still tend to buy it um i may not buy it on day of release i may wait until it comes in down in price a little bit but um i do i do pick it up or i get it for a birthday or a christmas present or something like that um but you know i love those games i love lots of games uh if anyone wants to play uh games with me i am on xbox uh my uh dj name is my username so dj force x please do add me message me to let you know so i can add you back because i know you can just follow people but if you want to play any games i'll play fifa gears uh assassin's creed oh that's a grand theft auto stuff like that so if anyone wants to just you know have a nice casual game i'm not a competitive gamer as such um 
I just like to play. Uh, so if anyone wants to, let me know and we can set that up because um, um, I'm going to set up a Twitch channel and stuff like that as well. Do some live streaming, not just of video games, but I'm going to try and see if what the sort of what it looks like to do a live podcast. Uh, also, some board gaming stuff. Uh, which uh, is something I'm getting very much back into. I just played in a Blood Bowl tournament, a Blood Bowl 7s tournament. Um, I didn't win any games, but I got a free pitch. So, um, But that was my first kind of like games back, proper games back to it. And so me and my kids are kind of playing these games at the moment. And then, uh, yeah, we're going to get out. I'm going to make some videos, going to do some Blood Bowl videos. Um, but my main concentration is I want to do Necromunda, um, which is a games workshop um, game that I used to play back in my late teens and they re-released last year i've talked about it before on the podcast but i've actually set up a facebook page it's called necromunda geddon um that is also going to be the name of the podcast and the video stream as well uh it's probably going to take another month or two to actually get up and running um but i'm slowly gathering information and ways of doing stuff and all that kind of garble that goes with it um so if anyone is into the miniature wargaming let me know again um just sort of because i'm going to be looking for feedback looking for help (laughs) on that front um i've just been uh allowed to use some music for it so that was kind of like i went to my wheelhouse first and got music um and now i've just got to put together some more production-based stuff um to sort of get that sort of visual and audio element so i'm not sure how it's going to translate as a podcast um just purely because it's a board game but it might work so we're going to try a couple of things see if it does um but video is probably where we're going to go with it i've also got another uh, idea for another video um presentation type thing of uh metal on vinyl so kind of going with the current resurgence of vinyl and things like that and uh recently i've been sent more vinyl and stuff in the post i got the saxon re-releases for instance um but i want to do like a kind of visual review um of of how the vinyl looks feels artwork um potentially how it sounds as well depending on licensing stuff if i can get that um if i can actually play some of the you know play a track or so but i want to kind of do a bit more of a visual media um showing my sort of bad self on tv um (laughs) my old self with gray beards and stuff but you know just to sort of you know represent in a bit more of a visual light and maybe expand what i do here because the podcast has been going for must be about four years now coming up four years and um you know there, there is only a certain level that you can push it to so I just want to see what we can actually, what can be achieved on that. And if anyone's actually interested, if you are uh, vinyl wise or board game wise or anything or video games, just let me know. I'm easy to contact. I'm on all the social media. <clears throat> you can find me under the DJ name. I've got pages, Twitter, etc. Um, so please do. Um, and then we'll go from there. And maybe even like if you're sort of local to the area, we can do like sort of cross streaming or like guest on the show type thing like that, that I kind of want to get people more involved because doing this solo is fun. But, um, you know, maybe um, with the gaming side of things, I need a few more other people to kind of work with um, who are sort of equally passionate into board. They don't have to be just into the board games I'm into. Obviously, Necromunda would be great because that's where I'm sort of mainly concentrating. But I do intend to do other games as well. Um, so and, and not just sort of miniature war gaming. I'm looking for like proper sort of like interactive board games um because i'm starting to get back into that side of it like with the family sort of away from kind of like the connect fours and the monopolies just more towards like the big game my me and my family are playing right now is cult express um which was lovingly recommended by the local game shop here uh in the uk um the game shop in aldershot i'll give it a shout out um and andy who i know there who was the bassist in my band previous to this uh, victorian whore dogs i've also had him on the show as well uh talking about it post uh, or after me um because they got a new singer in and stuff like that but uh, he recommended a game for us to play and we loved it um and we play it quite often so i'll be using the game shop as well as a sort of like maybe as a base uh for some of this um and also place to go play because i don't have much space where i live so it's kind of like it'd be nice to have like just rent out a room there 
have some people in people don't mind being on audio or visual sort of like recordings and stuff but just enjoying themselves playing games um and sort of talking about it afterwards if they want to uh and just sort of seeing what you know what's what and see if we can come up with our own sort of like scenarios and all that kind of stuff anyway i have rambled on oh my goodness we're 10 minutes in and we haven't even got to the interview yet but i just wanted to let people know my plans um so if there is any interest let us know but for now, I'm going to leave you with the games animal, Dave Perry. Enjoy. So, Dave Perry, uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, no worries, man. Um, and just uh, for for my listeners, um, normally I interview um, musicians, things like that, um, along my show. But I got you on because uh, you have a new um, TV channel on YouTube coming from um, a background of gaming uh, called The Games Animal TV. And uh, yeah, that's what we're here to talk about today. And obviously, um, people uh, from back, uh, well, back in my day, I guess, uh, would remember you from such games, TV shows um, as Games Master and Games World. Um, Correct, him on. Yeah, outside, I remember those shows from back in the day. <laughs> I used to watch them religiously. So, um, and uh, sorry, say again. Are you that old, really? You don't sound like you're old enough to remember. I'm, I, I'm about 38, so... Uh, that'd be about right, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah I think so. I was very, I'm very much into my gaming, so that's all good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, from, from back then, uh, now you're creating your own uh, TV um, gaming show. Um, could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, i got to admit, it's a real step into the unknown for me. Um, Back in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, I was very much, um, you know, at the, uh, at, the, at the vanguard of the video games revolution, if you like, the golden yeah. age of games, called it. I was very involved in a lot of the TV shows that came up there, UK's first show, Game Master, um, and then um, Games World, etc. And, um, and magazines and uh, things kind of me um i had the same agent as david beckham for a while um company magazine voted me in their top 50 bachelors the independent were writing articles on me things were taken off um but there's a lot of backlash from inside the games industry towards me mm. so then um in 98 um i was halfway through filming games world season four and i just had enough my my girlfriend who's now my wife was having my daughter um and um i just had enough of the whole TV world and the, and the kind of backstabbing and that that was that was in it, and um, so I left and um, I vowed that I was done with done with pro gaming. And then for eighteen years I did nothing. And then a couple of years ago, someone persuaded me to come back into the games arena. I'd, I'd been asked to do lots of things in between, and I'd always said no. Um, and a guy called Craig Turner, who does the revival events, um, retro revival, and yeah. I went for two thousand seventeen. Um, he tempted me back because he knew my weakness, and my weakness was that I've always wanted a Mortal Kombat 2 cabinet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he knew that, and um, because I complimented him on a cabinet he'd made, he, he refurbed a Killer Instinct one. So he promised me he would either get me a Mortal Kombat 2 cabinet um, or build me one from scratch if I came and did his... his um, convention for him so i did and um the reaction was very very positive very very good the vibe was different you know the um the, the cynical nasty trying to climb over each other to get to the top vibe of the 90s had gone and you yeah. know had people genuinely remembered um how good gaming felt when they were in their teens and um and we're just enjoying doing it all over again so they were pleased to see me because I guess when I got on stage with the bandana on, it brought memories back of the TV shows they used to watch. <laughs> and, um, and so that was good. So, so I did that, but pretty much as a one-off. Um, but then the guys up there said, you know, pretty much, this is great. You know, it, it really was good to see Bandana back on stage again. It brought back so many memories. How about we make, a, how about we make a, a real 90s-type TV show? 
Um, we'd love to do it because we all watched the shows, but we never got to be involved in them. Mm. So um, I was I was resistant because um, for me, television is television. You know, yeah. if, if it's not not on the, the little box in the corner of your lounge, it's not really television. Um, and the rest is everybody just playing at it. Um, but then I'm old now. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't have the respect for the Internet that um, that uh, the next generations do. So. I, I was at Madame Tussauds um, with my wife and daughter, and we were walking around. I was standing with Bruce Willis and um, Jennifer Lawrence and all that. I had my photo taken. And then you came around the corner, and um, there were two kids on a bed. And I oh, what the fuck's this? She's like, this is a bit unusual. Why, why is this here? And my daughter's like, oh, that's so-and-so and so-and-so. They've got a YouTube channel. They've got so many million viewers. They're, they're worth X amount of money. And I'm like, what the fuck? What from a TV <laughs> On the internet, um, and Madame Two Swords are making waxworks of them. I'm, I'm thinking, well, maybe I've not given this thing enough consideration. So I spoke to more people, and the more people I spoke to that were around the 19, 20, 21 year old age group were saying, "Yeah, man, you YouTube is where it's at. This is yeah, I watch this, I watch that," and they were fascinated. Then I found out kids were watching shows about people opening boxes. Yeah, and you know, and, and watching people playing bloody. Um, Oh, I can't, can't remember. For the second one, it was myself kind of building money and game that everyone was playing. And people were watching people playing it for hours. And there was nothing really going on except for this one person playing this blooming game. Yeah. And I thought, well, you know, I, maybe I've missed a trick. So the guy said they wanted to do it. So I said, let's do it. So we set up the YouTube, we set up the YouTube page, channel, whatever. Um, it seems too easy to do to call it channel, but um, <laughs> it's there. And then... Um, this past year, all the guys that wanted to be involved in it, who've got many have got their own little blogs and channels, they've put their own mini shows together. And um, we went up to Revival 2018 um, in May, a few months, few weeks ago. Yeah. And uh, we shot some live stuff up there on stage with a crowd. We shot some stuff in a controlled area where we did a few challenges. Um, we had uh, like developers from Rare were playing people on Killer Instinct um, um, and, and things like that, and, and it was uh, it was very very good. It was it was exciting, and um, and so now the whole thing is away somewhere being edited. I got to admit, I'm not having an awful lot to do with it because I, I don't really know much about it. So I'm letting people <laughs> run with it. I filmed, I went to a recording studio and filmed some original music for the intro a film. Recorded some original music for the intro and a, <laughs> a song that's going to be a little bit controversial for the outro of the show. Um, that's uh, it's called. Uh, no one knows the shit. I'll tell you. It's called uh, "Bikini Babes on Beat 'Em Ups." Okay. And uh, <laughs> that, that's how the show ends. Real, real sexist eighties, nineties stuff. Because <laughs> yeah, that stuff resonates with me. You know, back in the days, we always had girls in little outfits bringing on the trophies and that. Yeah, and it sad, saddens me now that people are letting that out of events and television. You know, let pretty girls be pretty girls, let smart girls be smart girls. Why, why can't everybody be what they are? And um, so we've put that on the end of the show as well. So that's all been edited, and um, the guys somewhere are putting the show together, and then they'll show it to me for final critique, and and then it'll go out. And I think it's going to be about an hour long. Hour twenty seven of that. It's just gonna be a one off special. Okay. Um, see what reaction we get to that. And 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 then maybe there'll be another one. Um and then maybe in between, um, I'm looking to find some people who wanna work with me, you know, games fans and that. And uh maybe then we'll do a lot of our own little mini shows in between as well and put it on the channel and start growing it from there. But but I'm very honest in this in saying that, you know, I'm I'm more of the prima donna age of TV, if you like. I, I, I turn up with my coffee and have my makeup done and go on, on camera. <laughs> you know, this whole doing it for yourself, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. So, so, so I need help or, or I need to get involved and, and actually teach myself. Um, but at the moment, this, this, this big one-off show is, uh, is in the edit and it'll be interesting to see what the reaction is. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was, uh, when I saw it announced, I was very interested myself. Um, sort of hence getting in contact with you really and um yeah now just noticing I, I did try and make it up to the revival show um 
in May, but unfortunately I couldn't get up that way. But um, yeah, it was uh, it, it was it's kind of nice to see something because like we don't you have we have YouTube. Obviously, there are people that do put out sort of style shows, but not in that sort of um, not not in the same way that they were back in the nineties, where you had challenges, where you had you know little bits vignettes going on in between. Yeah. um the, the 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 gaming challenges and um yeah no it was quite i was quite interested to see and i'm very interested to see how it actually pans out you know how it looks because uh, i've seen the pictures and stuff like that obviously i follow a bunch of the guys that um, went to the revival yeah. and a couple of the guys that help organize it and stuff and um yeah no i was just uh very interested to see how that turns out because it was like you said you kind of you obviously you know you left the tv world behind at that point and yeah. to come back into it, obviously, I know these uh, like retro events have been going on for quite a while now. They've sort of sort of started in little kind of you know tiny rooms filled with game systems, and now they're sort of part of like the big expos and things like that. So there's definitely a um, a resurgence in that that side of things, especially for those that that era of gaming, which was um, amazing, you know, at the time. Um, and you, sort of, you know, I, I was very much into my sort of home games consoles, but I was very much into arcade gaming. Sure. So, you know, I'd go out to the local arcade, which unfortunately they don't really exist anymore. And I'd go out and I'd play Killer Instinct. I'd go out and I'd play, um, you know, Daytona, which you can actually still find everywhere. But, um, um, you know, I'd go out and play uh, Ghosts and Goblins, stuff like that at these, like at the local sports center, they had like a row of arcade machines. Yeah, and it was, wasn't it? You know, to be to be the champion, you know, at your local wherever it was, your local chippy, your local ice rink, your yep. local arcade, to be the champion on those games, that was a thing to be, you know, and and that's gone, unfortunately, you know. It is one, um, one of my one of my most vivid memories of arcade gaming was actually at the Trocadero in London, and I was yeah. playing Killer Instinct, and I was I was pretty good at it. <laughs> at the time so i was throwing all these combos up and i turned around and there's like a group of like 10 people watching what i was doing yeah. like around and you you just don't get that i mean you obviously you get it in a virtual sense with youtube now because my kids they watch all these channels kids playing minecraft and um you know all these things that's the name of okay <laughs> um and you know and it, it's it's odd watching it from that perspective because you're like okay back when i was a kid it was like watching someone in the arcade like totally annihilate a game here we're just mm. watching someone obviously they're building stuff running around but yeah what's i'll the... tell you what it's like i tell you what it's like and um and it's a shame and you know i tend to be a little bit um harsh on the current generation it's not their fault it's just the way the world's gone and the internet has mm. Is gradually eating everything worthwhile. Unfortunately, um, it's like it's almost like some kind of futuristic movie whereby you know a whole generation went out and played football. And I remember playing on a Saturday and a Sunday, and I was covered in mud, and the ball would hit me on the thigh on a cold day, and it would hurt like hell. And your father would be shouting, "Get up! Don't let them see they hurt you!" <laughs> and you keep on playing, and you play, and at the end. You'd have this great foot. You'd be you'd be in the cold shower, and then you'd, 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 you'd you know you'd be you'd, you'd, all your mates. You'd all hang around and talk about the game, and it was a great, really physical thing. Um, it's a bit like going from that to then going somewhere where you play in some kind of virtual arena where there's no physical contact, and you don't actually see the other players. You're playing against virtual sprites, and no one really gets hurt. And then afterwards, you all chat about it in a chat room, and it's it's almost like. It's it's like gaming's gone gone that, that way. The physical nature has gone out of it. Actually, standing in a stinky arcade that smells of cigarette smoke, um, being elbowed in the in the side by some kids, trying to be pushed off the machine by bigger kids that want to get on there. Some idiot going push the X button, push the X button, yep. and all that <laughs> that grittiness has gone out of gaming. Now you've just got kids screaming shit down headphones at each <laughs> other. It, it, it's it's. It's it's the it's cowardly almost. It's it's the new it's the gaming equivalent of road rage of somebody sitting inside their car being tough as hell that somebody else sat inside their car. 
it's it's cowardly. The, the reality has gone out of gaming, and that's a really weird statement, I know, but but it has, and um and as a result, the colour's gone out of it because characters have gone out of it because it, it's like online dating. Guys swipe left, swipe right, whatever, and chat to a girl, and then they go and meet a girl, and and generally, you know, what what will be will be. You know, it, the difference between actually having to walk up to someone in a bar in front of their friends and talk to them. Yeah, it took some balls, and it yeah. took some balls to be a game that's taken all the courage out of everything for everybody, unfortunately. And um, as a result of that, the um, the characters have gone out of the ga- out of gaming as well, you know, because it's hard to, and I'm about to become one, so I, I have to be careful, but it's hard to respect <laughs> someone who films themselves talking to a camera and bedroom with a with a bunch of games behind them. Do you know what I mean? I, I appreciate the DIYness of it, but something's just missing. Yeah. There is a certain edge, isn't there, that's just not there. Yeah. Especially for the nature of what yeah. gaming is. It is a, you know, in a lot of respects, a competitive field. I mean, you obviously still get that to a certain degree with, like, the, 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 the pro gaming side of things. But, again, it's not... It seems very um, sort of co- corporate, I think, is probably the yeah. the best word for that. It does. It yeah. does. It's um, got very grey and very corporate. And um, it's all franchises and, you know, the next part of this game sequence or that game sequence. And, and to be honest with you, they're just, it's, it, they're just also unimaginative. I, I mean, it just all seems to be much of a muchness. Yeah, yeah, especially especially on the gaming front because it was always seems to be like the competitive games are always the 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 sort of first person shooters. Um, you know, occasionally you get FIFA coming in there, and I think League of Legends, which again, you know, it, 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 there there are sort of is com- like you know strategic elements to it, but it just like I say with the with like there is that lost camaraderie with the gaming side of it where you are. <laughs> tied to a console via a cable you know so you do have to have someone there with you <laughs> if you want to play against someone um, which is great like land gaming things like that you know yeah. back in the day be across the room or in, or in the other room or something you'd still be shouting shit at each other while you were playing you know it was um it was it was you and your mates it wasn't you and someone in some other part of the world or something you know it's yeah. just uh find it it's the games <laughs> It's a really weird thing. It's um, okay. When we first started doing this in the eighties, and um, you know, with the Sinclairs and the and the Speckies and all that, yeah. and um, then the Amigas and the Ataris came along, and we started doing all this. Um, the thing that we didn't realize it, it was a very weird transition because at first we were nerds, okay, um, or it was nerdy to do. Um, yeah, you know, the kids that stayed behind at uh, computer club and spent three weeks programming enough code in to actually just have their name repeat itself 20 times on a screen you know <laughs> all very excited about it it was nerdy but these kids did it and um as a result of that they became outsiders which was very interesting because i came through the 70s uh when we had the punk revolution and that was and parents you know the older generation was scared stiff about what punk was going to do to the younger generation because it was destructive um, um, potentially, but it was also creative. Um, yeah. And then, then the, the uh, digital yeah, before the digital revolution, but then the uh, computer revolution came along, and um, suddenly kids were in their bedrooms, and um, they weren't necessarily masturbating to Sam Fox on page three of the Sun. Uh, they might be a little bit, but um, at the same time, they were also staring at these screens and, and, and tapping away on computers, and um, that became scary for parents because it became addictive and these kids gradually got more and more into it and they became almost like an underworld and some of these kids doing this uh, became millionaires you know from, from their bedrooms yep. and um kids just played the games and in a way i like to think we were um we were electronic punks back in those days we were we were doing something that scared another generation there was a whole generation that didn't understand it when we launched games master in 1991 um, um, TV um, commissioning editors didn't get it. 
it was such a hard sell because they didn't get it. They didn't know whether it was a fad. They didn't know whether it was something that was going to be around forever um, because their generation had absolutely no point of reference. So they had calculators. That's probably about as digital as they were. Mm. Um, and so it was a really hard sell. And um, we got this feeling that we were doing something you know, that was a little bit dangerous and a little bit out there. And although people tried us as nerds, they also were a little bit worried about what we were doing, a little bit suspicious about what we were doing um, and, and where it was going to go. And um, so, you know, th- there was that element to it. And um, as a result, the whole thing, it became very, very comfortable. But now, uh, very, very colorful. Now, um, it should be an easier sell because everybody's got two or three games machines in their house. Most people have got a tablet or a phone yeah. all over the world. Um, it's bigger than the film industry. It's bigger than the music industry um, in, in, in terms of dollars made and everything. So you haven't got to convince commissioning and editors and people like that that they can't sell the advertising, that the people wouldn't be interested in the shows. It's all there. Mm. But now no one's interested in it at all. You know, no one back then it was a hard sell. Now it should be an easy sell. But no one's interested because it's almost over diluted itself. And as a result, it's just become a bit grey. And there's no excitement in it at all. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. It's um, it, it's certainly it's an odd one coming from sort of just being a sort of consumer of games generally, um, and seeing the sort of every year sort of churn out of. Not yeah, it's it's the same to the you do get some good games that do come out on the independent side of things, but there's a lot of the same. You know, there's that there's that rotation of the same type of thing. Obviously back back in the day we did have, you know, sequels of games. It wasn't an alien concept, but it wasn't every year. You know, and it wasn't no. slight updates, it was always something improved or not, you know, changed with the game. Um that kind of you know, justified the sequel, but whereas now it's just kind of slight updates, you know, could have been a bit of DLC kind of thing, but um, it's just just enough to, to be able to, like, make the sort of the people spend that £40 on it, or the 30 whatever, it, how much they cost these days. Um, well, my daughter and I thinking fans on the Call of Duty um, uh, games, we used to look forward to the new one coming out every year and we used to play it and it was a real bonding thing for us it's a crazy it's a strange thing for a daughter to love but she loved playing Call of Duty we'd sit and play it when the new games came out and he just got the last few and we just went Ugh. you know it was just yeah. it was the same old stuff again but but not as good Yeah. now if you're going to be the same old stuff then at least it should be better somehow and, and I find modern music's the same way as well you know generally that's just it's just all the same stuff, and it's just—it's almost like everybody's everything is so accessible to everybody now. Mm. Um, I hate to think that it's all been done, but you almost get a feeling that it has. Yeah, and that's scary. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. I mean, I mean, my my sort of my main background is music, so having seen seeing the sort of the way things, obviously, you know being in the music industry and how that is and how that changes and how, how it has changed over the last 20 or so years since I've been involved. Um, I was in a band back in the day and we released CDs and stuff and they, they were selling. And then we were kind of on that, the edge of when the MP3 kind of revolution came in. Um, and suddenly, you know, albums were being copied yeah. Uh, but then the music industry didn't change with it. Like a lot of the artists were trying to figure out what was going on. A lot of the record industry said, oh, it won't last. It won't last. And obviously it lasted. <laughs> um, and now everything like with the, um, like we said, with the music industry, everything is accessible. So anyone can make a, an album in their bedroom now that sounds yeah. like they've been to Abbey Road studio, you know? Um, but you can't, it dilutes itself. You get so many, but then after a while, those people that kind of have entered it as a, as a whim, you know, not as a sort of like lifelong passion, they kind of fade away and do other stuff. Um, and then hopefully you get left with, you know, the core, you know, the, the, the sort of ones that stuck it out and the ones that really wanted it and the sort of music that generally, you know, means the most. 
kind of thing. Yeah. Well, hopefully. Hopefully. Well, <laughs> uh, there's no suffering. Yeah. You know, I think back in the days when you used to have to, you know, do your do paper rounds and stuff just just to be able to go and buy a second-hand bass guitar or something. And then you had to find a bunch of other musicians. Then you had to find someone whose dad would let you practice in their garage and you'd practice. And then you'd try and write a few songs. And then you'd play them at the local village fete or something or town hall or whatever. And then if, you was, if you'd stuck together and you got into your late teenage years, you'd then travel around in a transit van and sleep in the back of the van and go all the way up to Nottingham to play one gig. Yeah. You'd have to try how to contact the and how to get A&R men out to you. And there was suffering involved. So when you actually got into that recording studio, you really had earned it. You really fucking wanted it. When you can just sit in, in your bedroom on a computer and just churn something out, where's the angst? Where's, where's the suffering? Where's the edge going to come from? It becomes a fade edge, doesn't it? It's not something that actually is there um, from going through it, if you like. It's yeah. something you fabricate. You know what it should sound like because you've heard it on other albums. And yeah. and. and Thing. I think I think we've all become very good at spotting fake. <laughs> Fortunately, um, there's an awful lot of fake out there now because it is so easy to fake it. We've got programs that do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Get the singers that can't sing, you got players that can't play, but all you need to do is alter it in these programs, and you can make it sound amazing. Yeah, damn shame. Yeah. Um, so um, going on to music, actually, while we're sort of uh, while we're on that subject, may as well keep the segue going. Um, you know, you mentioned that uh, very much into sort of um, earlier on. You said you mentioned you're into like sort of the punk movement and things like that back in the seventies and eighties. What sort of um, music were you kind of like into? Back in those days. Yeah. Was... Well, I came. I, I remember my first real interest in music. Um, was was my my father's record collection. I mean, that's how it worked back in those days. Yep. You know, you you didn't there wasn't any recording, there wasn't tape recorders. You had records, and so you had what your dad had because you had no money. And um, my dad had played in a rock and roll band, and um, so he was very into his rock and roll. So I grew up listening to um, Jerry Lee Lewis and Little Richard, um, Elvis, Cliff Richard, and um, PJ PJ Proby and Bobby Darren and people like that. So I liked rock and roll oh. um, in the early days um, because that's all we had. And we'd go down the market and we'd buy old... When, when records came off the jukebox, they'd sell them down the market. And they had no middle in them because that was how the jukebox worked. So you'd buy these little plastic adapters you stuck in to make them work yep. for a couple of pence. Anyway, when I was old enough to be a little bit more discerning, um, I remember really getting into the glam rock age after it had gone, you know, T-Rex and um, David Bowie and Sweet yeah. and Gary Glitter. I know it's a swear word saying Gary Glitter, <laughs> but the, because the guy, the music was great. And, I, I, um, I, I, just to quickly say, I, I spent a week with Gary Glitter. So. <laughs> I know that sounds really odd, but um, yeah, no, I was on TV a lot as a kid. So, and, um, and I was on the big breakfast for a week. And he was like one nice. of the sort of like week long guests because he just released a, or he's actually just opened a sandwich shop <laughs> somewhere. So yeah, he was a very nice guy. Obviously, you know, obviously what came out afterwards. But um, yeah, no, no, I, I had like, uh, yeah, no, I just thought, I thought I'd mention that. It was quite fun. So. Oh, you know, I dive a few times and that, and I was, a, I was a fan of the music because I just thought he was incredible. Yeah, the music was just amazing. And as a, as a performer, he was incredible. We didn't know the, but we didn't know any of the private side of things. No. Um, so then after that, my I guess my key um, period for music was probably um, when I was going to secondary school, so the late 70s, early 80s, which was the punk movement, which then turned into the post-punk movement, which was very heavily white reggae, you know, the Clash, the Police. Yeah. You had going, you had a lot of fake punk bands like Jam and the Police and the yeah, and and and, and they, they kind of came through punk, and then and then developed their own sounds and went their own way. I mean, you know, the police—you listen to the police's best songs; they're not punk. The Jam's best songs are not punk. They they, they were they were a mod revival, and then from that you then moved into um, the Scar and Two Tone movement, which was good with the Specials and uh, Selector and Madness and everything. It was a very good time, but things were moving 
so fast. Um, it, it ran about the late 80s, then it became a new romantic movement. And the Blitz kids, and you, you had all the electronic age, came along with Duran mm-hmm. Duran and Spandau Bally, and then you had Wham coming up through that. So that was all the kind of music I was listening to. But I am um, in my late teens, um, mid, well, middle teens to late teens. Um, I was, I was, I became a goth. That was my thing. Um, I, I had to have something with a bit more attitude. I had to have something. I liked to stand apart from everyone else a little bit, and um, I liked the he- the the darker, heavier side of things. I liked Bauhaus, um, Jesus and Mary Chain, um, Cramps, uh, and then eventually the Cure, Susie and the Banshees, Sisters of Mercy. That was kind of my thing, and 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 a big big fan of the John Peel show late late at night, you know, yeah. and just listen to the Smiths and uh, Echo and the Bunnymen and things like that, bands from all over the country who, who because no internet, only four, only three channels on the telly back then, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't have a chance to know what was going on unless you went and looked for it. Yeah. And when you go and to find information and you actually have to look for information, you value that information a lot more. And, um, you know, we, we, the music meant so much to us. Yeah. So that was it for me. I mean, the punk movement, I, I'm still very much, I, mean, I have a barbershop now called punk. Um, yeah. um, the punk movement for me, I have a very controversial um, opinion on the punk movement. I personally believe the punk movement was one album. It was um, never mind the bollocks by the Sex Pistols. Yeah, and everything, everything else was either fake or copying or um, just off the rails and not really knowing where it was going. I mean, you only got to listen to what Clash did later on um, with Sandinista and Combat Rock and things like that. Those were very polished, copy white reggae music. The Cramps were always a bit of a pantomime band. You know, all the dressing up and everything. Yeah, um, Sex Pistols. I think very much like Public Enemy and the rap movement, you know, over in the States, um, the Sex Pistols were dangerous. The Sex Pistols were the only punk band that scared the establishment, that scared the government, that actually were saying things that resonated. Um, you know, they were they were a youth quake, if you like. They were yeah. a hand grenade into the center of the music industry. And they bothered everybody because they were super real they were super real and that they made the one album eventually after jumping from record company to record company and then after that uh, john lyde and johnny rotten fell out with malcolm mclaren and um what sex pistols did after that really it, it kind of became a pantomime on their own story you know never yeah. mind the, i like i like the great rock and roll um it's an entertaining album and the film is yeah, wonderfully 70s very very entertaining but um but it started to become fake it started to become that was when mark and mclaren really started to become the puppet master i think and it killed it that one album never mind the bollocks yeah um that was real it was it what was, an album you know it's a hell of a play album. it it's still crisp today it still sounds like nothing else and I was at a party a while back and I was sat with um, a relative of mine and he was 19 at the time, sat there with his girlfriend and um, I, I, I entered the party and the DJ knew me and he started playing some more edgier music and all this. And um, they'd all been playing all the, all the music of the time and uh, he put on um, Pretty Vacant by the Sex Pistols for me because he knew I'd love that. And, um, and that, that the sort of guitar just cut in over the top of those tribally drums at the intro and uh, the young guy turns to me and he went who's this? It's the Sex Pistols and even now it sounds harder than the hard stuff, do you know yeah. what I mean? Whatever people that, that that album, you can pick almost any track of that album, it still cuts through anything, it's like vinegar it's amazing. Yeah, no it's, it is an amazing album and it's like you say, it was, it was a, it was a, it's a, that's the best analogy. I think it was a hand grenade for the music industry. So it went in, blew up and that was it. You know, obviously it sparked off a lot of kind of, you know, that was, it suddenly became a fashion yeah. But because they did that one album and that was it. They were just like, nope, that's it done. And you know, obviously, was, you know, I mean, was vicious, unfortunately when he joined the pistols, um, Absolutely brilliant. Love the images. I love the pictures of the pistols on stage at that time. 
with Vicious on the bass guitar, with it hanging low, mm. and with give me a fixed stretch, you know, cut across his own chest with a beer bottle, you know, bloody brilliant, absolutely dangerous. But unfortunately, he was by um, the Ramones, the American scene, so he started wearing the, um, the drainpipe jeans, the baseball boots, the black biker jacket, which I still wear, unfortunately. I, you know, I like to say I was more original than that, but I'm not. And, um, and it gave punk a uniform, yeah. And it happened around Nevermind the Bollocks. And as soon as Punk got a uniform, it was dead because it wasn't it wasn't supposed to be anymore. As soon as it had a uniform, it became part of the establishment. As soon as it was part of the establishment, Punk was dead. So for me, one album, because beyond that album, there became a formula. And once something has a formula, um, then the powers that be can understand it. And once the powers that be can understand it, they've got it. Yeah. Up to that point, they didn't get it. It was ours. It was ours until until it had a formula. Once it had a formula, they could dissect it. And once it could be dissected, it became what it became. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, you mentioned not long ago uh, about your shop that you have. Yes. Um, your tattoo and barber. Is it a bar- both barber? Is it a barber shop and a tattoo room, or is it is that some are those are those separate? A tattoo shop called Revolver. Yeah. Uh, going for over 11 years now in Torquay. Um, I think it's the biggest tattoo shop in the area. It's um, Revolver Tattoo Rooms because we have multiple rooms. It's not like a little tiny tattoo shop. We have um, five artists and piercers. And um, and then we also we, we expanded it a year or so ago. Um, and um, so now it has uh, it had some extra space in the middle. Um, decide what to do with it and a number of the conventions that I've been going to um, the barber culture had grown and was starting to be a part of the tattoo industry you know beards and tattoos yeah. and that and these barbers with it and so I put a barber shop in the middle of it as well now so so that was kind of a one stop one shop stop you know for people that want to be a, be a little bit alternative be a, be a little bit outside a little bit rebellious they can come and they can get their beards groomed and they can get get really killer haircuts um, and they can get tattooed at the same time. They can get their piercings, you know, body modification. You know, it's it's nice. It's like an image center. Yeah. It's, it's cool to be around it. And we play rock music and punk music all day and everything. And uh, I can't believe that's that's what I do for a living. I can't believe I go to work um, dressed as I go to work and um, I get to be around interesting people listening to rock music all day it's 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 pretty good nice yeah now i was gonna say it sounds like my perfect job um, <laughs> um so what 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 got you into that side of things because obviously you know you, you you came out of television um and then obviously in between that you must have like had a thought of going into tattooing things like that what what was what was your sort of path into that side of things Okay, well, it was, um, I went, uh, I've been all over the place. I've, I've lived, uh, I left Torquay when I was 18, and I went to the Bath Academy of Art to do a Bachelor of Arts Honours degree. Um, um, and then from Bath, I went to Australia, where I lived for a year, worked for a year. Um, and then from Australia, it was to London, and then to Bournemouth, and then to Los Angeles. So I've, I've lived all over the place and worked all over the place. Um, but when I went to London the first time, um, I lived uh, with a lovely landlord and landlady out um, on the edge of Essex, Hertfordshire, uh, called Bishop Stortford. Uh, and um, we lived out in the countryside a little bit. Uh, he was a great guy. He was a real character, and he was off going down the pub. We drank down this local pub, um, which was full of local ales. And Rod Stewart used to drink there when he was with Rachel Hunter, um, which always caused a bit of a stir. But he was a great guy. Um, he lived around there somewhere. And... Um, Anyway, he'd always come back from this pub, my landlord, with like half a BMW engine or you know, a snake or a couple of coats or something. There was always deals to be done, uh, money to be made. And he came back one day with a carrier bag that was full of tattoo machines and a tattoo set up. Goodness knows where he managed to get that at that time because it, they, they were like hen's teeth. They're almost impossible to find. And um, he said, here we go, boy, we'll make some money with this because he knew I was an artist and I was working in magazines at the time, um, designing and writing. And uh, I, I don't know how to use this, you know, and it, totally irresponsible times, naive as you like. <laughs> I trundled off to the local 
tattoo shop and I uh, said, look, guys, look, I, I, I've got this tattoo equipment. My, my landlord's given it to me. Um, I'm an artist. I'm interested in learning how to use it. And, you know, could you just show me how it sets up? And, of course, I was told to fuck off, which, which is the right thing to do. And another <laughs> next shop, the same. And it's what we would tell anyone today if they came to us. Of course, now people don't so much because they can go to the internet and find out what to do. But um, so I started getting tattooed um, because I was a rebel and I wanted to look different and I wanted tattoos, but also because I wanted to watch what they were doing and I wanted to see where the wires went and how things operated. And I was self-taught and I taught myself to tattoo. I knew no better um, because I was interested in the medium, not because I was trying to make loads of money out of it. Um, because back then it wasn't seen as being a great job. You know, people, very few people aspired to be a tattoo artist unless you were already connected to that culture mm. in some way. Um, it's a long time before Miami Inc. and all that made it glamorous. So, um, so I started tattooing and, uh, um, and then the TV people came along, um, and offered me the Games Master gig to go and set that show up. And of course, then I thought I was going to be famous. Um, and thought, well, this is what I'm going to do now. So I went off and did TV and carried on with magazines and tattooing went by the wayside a little bit. And then in the noughties, I, I started again, you know, influenced by the TV revolution that came along with Miami and everything. It reminded me how much I loved tattooing and enjoyed tattooing. So I went back to it a little bit and, um, and then uh, I had an offer for my magazine company. I had my own magazine company by then. And um, I was pretty much aware that the internet was killing print. Um, and, you know, the magazine world was, was dropping off quite drastically. Mm. Um, um, I, I decided to take the offer I had for my company and um, go and tattoo. And, 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 and then in 2007, I set up my own tattoo shop. Um, and and that was it, really. I decided uh, I needed to support my family, and I wanted to stay in the West Country. Um, so I needed to be in a world that could support my family in the arse end of nowhere, if you like. You know, it's all right being in the media and being in television and being in magazines, but you know, when you when you're right down on the coast of Devon, there's not a lot of opportunity. So you have to find something that that you can steer for yourself. And and ta- tattooing was that. I loved it. I was passionate about it. And um, and and that's what I do now. It's great. Awesome. That's awesome, man. I I I went down. I mean, I, I don't have any tattoos, but it's something I'm kind of interested in. But I went down the piercing route when I was in my uh, youth. <laughs> um, I now only have two remaining piercings, but <laughs> out of the many that I did have. But um, yeah, no, I I love that whole culture, that side of it, and and I was just curious to see how you got how you got into it, and obviously from, you know, from TV to doing that, it was uh, it's it's kind of a it's a totally different sort of you know. Um, it is the funny, the funny thing is people I see because you know I, I get because of the kind of character I am and was um. I get trolled, trolled from time to time. You know, there's always people in the UK. There's always people that if you if you seem happy and you're doing well for yourself, they want to try and get at you. Yeah, uh, that, that always happens, and it's easy for them. And that happens a lot. And people are kind of like, you know, when they have a discussion about me or games, master or gaming back in the day, um, it comes up. There'll always be someone that goes, "Yeah, I hear, I hear, he's got a tattoo shop now." Ha 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 ha. Like it's a failure thing. Like you know, oh yeah, that, now that's what he's ended up doing. And the thing is, it was a choice thing. And um, yeah. actually, the way the way the tattoo industry is, it's a it's a great great time to be in it. And it's something I've chosen to do, and I've chosen to stay in. Um, and 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 I love it. And I, I think that unless, like yourself with the piercings, unless you've been interested in that culture and been in that culture, it's hard to understand what a what a great community it is to be a part of. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it definitely by you know it definitely was a choice thing. It was a direction I chose to go in, um, and, and it's absolutely great. It's absolutely great. And I chose to do this until my daughter was eighteen. I always said I would do um, stay away from TV and the media until my daughter was eighteen because I wanted to raise her. I didn't want to have to be going to London and going here and going to LA and going to E3 and doing whatever. Um, and now she's older. Um, now she's reached that age. Um, 
that's another reason why I've started coming back into all of this. I kind of kept my promise. Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. So um, I've got a couple of questions left for you now, and then we'll wrap things up, and I'll let you get on with the rest of your day, um, if that's cool. And, um, yeah, so I, basically I normally ask um, this question to a lot of musicians. Uh, there are three top albums, the kind of albums that kind of shaped who you were or who you are. Um, I know we've kind of covered that generally because I would have thought that um, with um, Sex Pistols, stuff like that would be up there. Top album. Actually, Sex Pistols wouldn't make the top three, unfortunately. Oh, really? Oh, go on then. They'd probably give, be... give us your top three then. <laughs> Interesting. The greatest album of all time, my favourite album, the ultimate go-to album for me is uh, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, Rise and Fall of Nice. David Bowie. Yeah. Absolutely great. And all the greatest for having you know, just one hit on it, which was Starman, which was added later in the album's production um, because they, because the record company panics, they didn't have a hit on the album. And to have such an influential album that's meant so much to so many people without having a hit record on it initially, you know, amazing. You know, love that album. Still today, I could put that on any time and not be bored of it. Um, second album for me, um, Antichrist Superstar, Marilyn Manson. Oh, nice. Absolutely. That was the moment that and, and became who he was. And a lot of people don't even realize um, that it's a concept album, that it, that it actually follows a thread. And uh, every track on it for me, absolute killer. Mm. It was like, very much like the Pistols, but never mind the bollocks. It was like nothing else at the time. Um, it shocked people at a time when people weren't easily shocked and it still sounds gnarly and great today. Um, that was Manson at his peak for me. I still buy Manson's albums today, but that for me was the peak of a great, great artist. Nice. Um, and then my third album, um, which would probably be a little bit more, um, surprising is Revolver by the Beatles. Okay. Um, Huge Beatles fan. Um, it's a great album for me. Beatles at the height of their powers. Um, it was just when they changed, and in in their changing, they were changing the music industry. Uh, I love the album so much. Um, I named my tattoo shop after it. Mm. Um, and uh, funny story with Revolver. I always I always loved that album because I always thought, what a fucking great thing. The Beatles. You know, this band that's known for peace and love and hippiness and everything, naming their album after probably the most one of the most destructive instruments of death of the last century, you know, yeah. the, the revolution. You know, oh, my God, he, what a great juxtaposition. You know, you've got a band that's preaching love and peace, and they named themselves after a gun, an instrument of death. <laughs> and then I found out later, reading Jan Lerner's um, Rolling Stone interviews with John Lennon, the the actual name of the album was because it revolves was because it goes around in a circle <laughs> yeah. words that john lennon was having and and, and i was so gutted <laughs> but i thought that's fucking... that's amazing that wrong for so many years yeah i still i still named after a gun rather than the fact that it goes back but that, that's a great great album um full of you know very very interesting tracks and um yeah uh the White Album's very interesting. I like the White Album. It was my favourite Beatles album for a while. Um, Sgt. Pepper is always topping the charts. It's one of the best albums of all time. But for me, that's a very empty album. Sgt. Pepper would have been the greatest album ever if they'd followed through and left Strawberry Lane, Strawberry Fields Forever and Penny Lane on it. It needs those two tracks. Took them off and released them as singles. And the album feels empty without them. So for me, it didn't reach... They reached zenith with uh, revolver and i like that album and then just outside of that is never mind the bollocks of sex pistol <laughs> excellent cool um i was gonna change up with you i was gonna ask for your three top games as well so if we're going back buffer definitely i would say three top games uh, my top game is easy my favorite game of all time has never changed uh player manager by anko oh nice. uh, 19 <laughs> Um, I was, I was, and still am a huge fan of the kickoff series of games. Not what happened with it later when they put it on CD and put it on consoles. That was terrible. Uh, 
but initially on the Amiga, an Amiga 500 with two Competition Pro Extra joysticks and, and, and Kickoff 2 was just the best gaming ever. Kickoff 1 was okay, but Kickoff, kickoff it was a little bit flawed. And um, what we worked out with the original Kickoff was you could score from the halfway line um, and also you could foul all the players. And if you fouled the players on the other team, Eventually, that team ended up with hardly any players on the pitch. So we worked out how to beat the game. Kickoff <laughs> 2 had more to it. Um, and, um, and then they brought out um, various add-on discs, which were amazing. Extra discs, Final Whistle and Road to Europe and things like this. And, and they did something that, I'm, for my money, no, no game has ever done, no notable football game has ever done. And I wish they bloody would do it. Um, Kickoff brought out a, um, I can't remember, I think it was Final Whistle. Um, where they put referees in the game for the first time. You had referees and linesmen. Um, but also, you could have international teams, and the international squads were made up of the greatest international players for those countries ever, with, with, with stats that were probably nowhere as sophisticated as FIFA is now. But they had stat, different stats, like the fast players were fast, the, the good goal scorers had good shooting and things like this. And, and we loved that. We play tournaments together, you know, with, with international countries. And it was great having, you know, Gary Lineker on the same field as Bobby Cholton and things like that. And we, we and Tom Finney, and we loved it. And to my mind, there's, it's, I, I can't remember a, a top notch game where you can just switch to international mode and, and have all the players, all the greatest players from those countries in a squad that you can select from. Yeah. I can't, no. I think FIFA's had a few dream teams through the years, but not really set up as the as a sub game itself, which was amazing. Yeah, no, I'm gonna have to check that out. I, I I remember playing Kickoff as a kid, but yeah, I'll have to see if I can track that down. That'll be uh, yeah, because no, no, nothing has come from that. Obviously, you do have FIFA with your sort of like classic players and stuff, but they're not they're not readily available. No, oh, but this was great. You know, just go from from to international mode, and you had. All the greatest players through through the century, through the century, all playing for their teams, you know, in, in like a generic kit, and it was just it, you didn't you couldn't mix and match them. They were just there, so you'd play England against Italy, but it would be England's all time best team against Italy's all time best team. Yeah, you know, selected by you. Yeah, you would choose who you put. It was brilliant. Nice. That, that, that's what kickoff did, and that was great. Yeah. Second game of all time, even though I own a Mortal Kombat two cabinet, and I love Mortal Kombat two. Would have to be Street Fighter Two. Oh yes, just for what it did, for where it came in gaming, for where it came in my time in gaming, um, playing in competitions, playing on television, playing all over the country, uh, and and probably for yourself, you know, if you you were an arcade gamer like I was, mm. um, being good at Street Fighter was essential, yeah. and um, in the arcades, and you had the um, you had the multi link. Machine and everything as well, so you could all play against each other at tournaments. Just absolutely brilliant. The purest of fighting games, because I know you're a Killer Instinct fan, but for me, Killer Instinct was when it all started to go wrong. Eternal Champions from Sega, Kino, Killer Instinct, games like that. Games where you could learn links of moves which which couldn't be broken, chains of moves whereby the other player had to stand there and take 16, 20 hits. You yeah, and couldn't really do anything to fight back. For me, that wasn't gaming. That was, you know, it was almost like learning a pattern. And with base, with with games like Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat to a lesser degree, you were back in the day. Um, you know, it was it was instinct. You you took a big hit and then you struck back. And defending was so important, and timing was so important, and what you used and when you used it was so important. It was real give and take, toe to toe, and the, the less moves in the game actually made it more about the player than the computer. Do you know what I mean? It became yeah. more about strategy and keeping your nerve. And for me, Street Fighter would be my second okay, cool. best game of all. Third best game of all time is really, really, really tough. Really, really, really tough. <laughs> then you go, you know, I'd have, oh, I'm, I'm going to say something and then, and then I'm going to change my mind. Yeah. <laughs> Games that come up are Age of Empires on the PC. I love those games. Um, I'm a huge fan of Wipeout. I'm playing Wipeout again back on the original PlayStation. I bought an old PlayStation the other day just to play those games. They're, they're a real player's game, really tough to play. Mm. Um, but, uh, um, 
And of course, Call of Duty, um, because my daughter and I played that so much. I love that game to bits as well, but I would probably say, what have I done? Player Manager, Street Fighter, third favorite game of all time. Oh, I'm going to forget one. <laughs> I'm going to forget one. That's a tough, 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 tough call. Okay, I'm going to throw one out there. Different. Um, the only played it will know. Um, Space Hulk on the 3DO. Oh, nice. Now, I don't know if any, I, I, very few player people that listen to this will ever have played that game. I, I, I used it to was, own it. <laughs> so, very, it was a rare game. The 3DO came out. It was a lump of a machine. Yep. You loved it or you hated it. Very similar to the original Xbox in, in how it looked and how it felt to play it. Um, and everyone was expecting big things, and big things didn't really happen. There were some interesting things that we all felt were going to you know, show us what was going to happen in the future, and nothing came of them. And then out came Space Hulk. And Space Hulk was obviously a board game. Um, and um, I think before it came out on 3DO, there had been a PC version, which was a little clunky and a little different and then it came out 3do and it was uh amazing it was it was it was a kind of a doomy type game yeah see there's a game i should have thought of <laughs> the doomy type game oh, if you if you remember you were inside an old spaceship that was cast adrift and you were walking along the corridors inside this mecha armor suit space hulk and these aliens these 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 space tuggers were trying to attack you and and take you down and you would um and you'd be commanding a unit of four, and you'd have a strategy map, so you'd stick them, you'd have, like, the uh, corridors of the spaceship, you'd stick them at various angles of the spaceship, you'd tell that one to stand and use this gun to cover this area, you'd tell this one to stand there and use this machine, this gun to cover this area, and then you'd try and pursue forward to open a door, and then if the aliens came down the various corridors, you'd have your colleague stood there. And it was just a wonderfully immersive game, because... As the computer computer operated characters you'd stood in the various areas to fight, were fighting, they'd be talking in your helmet to you, telling you what was happening to them. You know, this was long before you had the internet, so you had the Call of Duty things where you had your other squad members who were real people telling you what was happening to them, and you'd be going, "They're coming at me! They're coming at me! I've only got twenty percent energy left!" You know, and you'd be so tense having to having to get the job done before your your um your drone CPU characters were taken out, and it was just. It was looking at it now. It was a real flash to to what online gaming with with squad game Call of Duty and Medal of Honor and things like that were going to be doing later. Yeah. Um, but they were doing it on the at the time, and um, it was a it was a never mind the bollocks moment. It was a diamond in the rough. It was a one off. It was just one of those games within a format that for me um, stood above the rest, and 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 I. Kept I kept my 3DO for years with that game on it just to play that game until I got bored of setting it up every time to play the game. <laughs> um, you know, I forget about it. Oh, I've got to play Space Hulk again. You get it out again. Great, great game. Yeah, those would be my top three. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you for that. Um, and thank you for your time. Um, I do appreciate it, you coming on to, to chat to me. And um, just finally, where can people reach out to you? Where's the best place to... Uh, catch yourself and the new uh games animal tv channel and things like that okay well the channel is on um is on youtube it's called games animal tv yeah find uh find me on facebook dave perry the dave perry on facebook i'm um i'm, I'm that that tends to be where i pick up all my messages that's, that's the that's the social media i use the most okay cool all right well Dave, thank you very much. Um, have a good rest of your day. Uh, good luck with um, Games Animal TV, and um, obviously keep going with your with your tattoo room and your barber shop and everything, because that's all good. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, again, thank you for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Oh, thank you for a walk down memory lane. Thank you very much. Awesome, man. Have a good day. Mm-hmm.